The Journey Into Podcast Patreon is proud to present this Star Trek podcast, where Marshall Latham and Keith Techlitz go where many Star Trek fans have gone before, talking endlessly about the Star Trek franchise. Please come and join us as we go trekking. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trekkin' here on the Journey Into Podcast, where Keith Techlitz and I talk about Star Trek in all of its forms and fashions. And the form in which we are talking about Star Trek today is in the form of the first motion picture of Star Trek. So are you ready for this, Keith? I am. I am ready. The The motion picture. I remember it as a child, and then I've watched it several times since then, and my love for it has only grown. Have you? Did you see this in the theater? I did not. I did not see this in the theater. I was, I'm a little too young, definitely the first round. Uh, I just remember my, my parents buying the Star Trek box set on VHS. Where it was the five of them that when oh, you put right. them together made up the Enterprise. Yep. And then you just added to it with more after that. But yes, that's what I remember. So I remember watching it several times. Okay. I didn't see it in theaters either. I, I guess I could have. I would have been around nine years old when it came out. Right. But, you know, my parents weren't real big science fiction fans or whatever. And, uh, you know, I had watched the series on reruns and enjoyed it but i wasn't an avid watcher of it i just Mm -hmm. when i when it was on i watched it and i liked it i think one of my other friends really liked it and so sometimes he'd say let's go watch star trek so we would right i I know my sis my sister liked it quite a bit so but yeah i don't think i saw this until i was much older you know and into my Later teens, I believe, is when I saw this. My first cinematic Star Trek experience was The Wrath of Khan. Oh, lucky you. And onward. You know, that was the the big thing. The word of mouth of The Wrath of Khan was that it was so good. And so I I ended up going to see that in the theaters. And we'll definitely be talking about The Wrath of Khan in the future as well. Yes. Uh, for those of you that might be hearing this for the first time, this Trekkin podcast is something that I, we do over on the Journey Into Patreon. But we've decided that when we talk about the movies, and probably if we talk about a Star Trek novel, um, we're going to put these out on the general Journey Into feed so that everybody can listen to them. Uh, just to let you know, we're going through all the series of Star Trek in chronological order. So we've already talked about uh, the first part of the first season of the Enterprise series, uh, Discovery, and we just did an episode about the original series of Star Trek. And we decided from time to time we're going to pop in and talk about a movie instead of the series. So this is the first time we're doing it, and we're sharing it with everybody. So 
If this is your first time listening, welcome to <laughs> Trekkin. There's much more out there. Join the Patreon. I can attest myself that Marshall puts out great content on a regular basis to the Patreon, and it is well worth it. Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, the last episode that we did uh, came in at around two hours and 20 minutes. So <laughs> they can get pretty long. Uh, we're still trying to figure out how to uh, how to do this and maybe shorten it up. But we don't mind going long either because we, we love these shows. So Absolutely. But let's, let's talk about the movie at hand. Star Trek The Motion Picture came out in 1979. And it had been rumored for many years, ever since uh, the Star Trek the series was canceled in 69. So 10 years between when the series was canceled and when this movie came out. Had you done any research into some of the development stuff that was going on with this movie or what, what was going to take place in between? A little bit. I mean, obviously the animated series came out in between and kind of finished the five-year run. They they kept on going back and forth between whether or not they wanted to make a movie, a TV movie, or another series. And it just seemed like they there was a lot of differing opinions and starts and stops on a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Finally, they ended up doing the full-blooded movie. Instead of, I think they were calling it Phase 2, was what they had kind of said as their, their new TV show. But instead they decided to go with the movie. And I'm, I have no doubt that Star Wars and the giant box office that Star Wars had played a little bit of the way they decided to go on that impact onto that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'd always heard that, that the success of Star Wars is what gave Paramount the idea to finally go with a movie instead of a TV series. And right. while that's true, in, in some of the extras that I watched on the DVD that I watched this on, it was also the success of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Uh, that that was kind of the, the second witness, I guess, that uh, science fiction movies were popular and could do well at the box office. Right. Um, uh, do you remember what year Alien came out? Was that a 79 release as well? I believe so. I think Alien was 79 as well. Okay. Be before that, you know, before Star Wars and Close Encounters and, and some of these other shows, the big science fiction movies were like 2001 A Space Odyssey. But that was right. back in 1968 when Star Trek was still on television. So Right. I guess the other thing that I learned was they took the pilot episode of what was going to be Star Trek Phase 2, mm -hmm. which had this basic plot of a machine from outer space coming toward Earth uh, to communicate with it. Right. And it was a script that was developed between uh, Alan Dean Foster and Gene Roddenberry. Yes. I'll say this, that the most Star Trek The Motion Picture came out pretty much with gangbusters. I mean, yeah, people kind of viewed it as a little bit of a failure, but that's looking at it now, going back. I mean, it set the box office record for highest opening weekend gross. It or sold more tickets and 
was the most financially successful Star Trek movie, if you count for inflation, up until the reboot, Kelvin reboot in 2009. I mean, it, the budget was $44 million and it made $139 million. I mean, this critically derided as much as crud as people sometimes give this movie. It really sold a lot and people went to see it. And I'm sure that, you know, the fact that there was people had a little bit of the Star Wars. They they f- finished watching Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back wasn't out yet. So getting that space in there was a little bit. And the fact that Star Trek people had been waiting for 10 years for some more Star Trek. And they finally got it. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Which brings to mind our good friend Rish Outfield sent us in another voicemail with a question about this movie, which is right along the lines of what we're talking about here. Maybe we'll just cut in and uh, play his voicemail and answer his question. Then we'll get into the the thick of the movie. Hey, guys, this is Rich Outfield. I uh, guess it's a tradition now for me to ask you a question on each one of these episodes. But I feel I'm participating, so thanks for indulging me. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. The motion picture is a a very flawed film. While I do remember seeing it in the theater, (laughs) all I can recall is being baffled that there was a woman who was bald like a man. And, you know, it's totally possible I slept through most of it. It's considered boring and hard to rewatch. And Robert Wise, the director, said he didn't have time to edit it properly. Around 20 years ago, I met a guy who called it the motion picture and i've called it that ever since but but having said that the film was a big hit in 1979 uh grossing 85 million dollars domestic here in america which is 309 million adjusted for inflation in today's dollars and i audiences especially fans of the tv series flocked to it why do you suppose that is what do you credit for the film's success? Goodbye. Thanks, Rish, for your, for that question, that voicemail. Uh, I think you know you had started to answer that already, and and I I agree with what you're saying. I I think the biggest thing, yes, everybody was big on Star Wars and science fiction, and they were craving more and more, and of course, more and more kept flooding to the market. And uh, Star Trek came in right along that time. Right. But also, like you had also said, you know, there had been this fan, cult fan following for all during the 70s, you know, ever since the show was canceled or even before. And there were conventions and um, they had all rallied together and petitioned NASA to name the space shuttle uh the Enterprise, which they did, right. you know, so this big cult following, of course, if they were, if, and this, the rumors of this movie had been around for since like 1971 or something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just think all that build up, everybody was going to go to this movie. Big fans, as well as general moviegoers, I think, right. were going to see this movie. So I guess I just wasn't one of them at the time, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, 
we were both pretty young at this time, so we weren't we weren't quite in that teen or twenty or even thirty year olds that that grew up with Star Trek at that point and just had been watching it a lot and had the disposable income and the means to get to the movie theater to watch something over and over. <laughs> so, you know, I, I attribute uh, the success of Star Trek very similar and along the same lines as the success of Marvel comics back in the sixties and seventies is that it was, it was the college kids that were finding it fascinating and interesting and fun. And they were the ones that were (laughs) becoming this big fan base for Star Trek and, you know, similarly to, to Marvel comics and things like that. So, yeah. So I just think all that, all that fan stuff, just uh, erupted <laughs> with the release of this movie. Mm-hmm. My uh, wife's family were actually big Star Trek fans. They watched all the TV shows and and knew them, and they all went as a family to go see this movie. Oh wow! And that was kind of cool. I I was like, wow, really? <laughs> my family, you know, didn't it wasn't even on their radar, but yeah, my right. my wife went and. She just, the only thing she really remembers is that her parents said they were disappointed. I think they were expecting something different. And yeah. Rish alluded to that as well, that underwhelmed many people, I guess. Right. But let, I guess we can break it down and get into our own analysis of the movie and the plot and things that we liked, things that we didn't like. I don't know. Did, had, <laughs> this isn't episode by episode like in our previous podcasts. So um, I guess, do you want to start out talking about the plot a little bit and some of the things sure. that established at the beginning of this movie? Actually, let's let's start with adding in a couple of the new cast members that play a big part. Yeah, yeah. Let's go through the cast and crew a little bit. Right. So, I mean, obviously we have the old standards. You have William Shatner as James T. Kirk, Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock. DeForest Kelly is Leonard McCoy, bringing back their their standards as the the trilogy, the big three. And then you you actually brought back almost all of the original cast from the from the show. You have uh, James Duhan as as Scotty, Walter Walter Koning as Chekhov, Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, George Takai as Sulu, and then you actually had uh, Nurse Chapel in there with Majel Barrett. And, oh, what's her name? Uh, Janice Rand. They even brought back Janice Rand. Janice Rand. Yeoman Rand came back briefly as well. You see her. And that, that was pretty big because she kind of left the the show a little upset. So the fact that they were bringing her back was pretty cool. Yeah. And then you have two new characters that play a pretty big role. There's Stephen Collins as William Decker, Willard, I'm sorry, Willard, not William Decker, who was the new captain of the Enterprise, but then Kirk, this new threat comes and and Kirk is the admiral, gets Starfleet to send him out on the Enterprise and take over instead. So (laughs) you got a little bit of interpersonal drama there. Yeah, for sure. And then you have Persis Kambata as Ilya who's a Delton navigator. So Delton is the race, and then she's the navigator of the Enterprise, 
kind of sitting where Chekhov used to, and Chekhov's doing a little bit more focused on weapons, and she's all about the navigation now. So Those rotating navigators that we talked about in the last episode. <laughs> that's right. So here's the new one. I mean, they, they play a, a pretty big role. And so the, the Deltan kind of has this little bit of healing, little bit of empathy power, it seems like, that she can do some of those things, which it kind of feels a little bit like she's the, the precursor to the, the Betazoids, which is what Counselor Troy was, is what it almost had. And the thing is, though, she looks just like every other human. She just has a shaved head. Yeah. So. Yeah, there, there was something weird there when she came on board and everybody was right. staring at her and Uhura says, she's a Delton. Like this was right. a big thing. And I, I never quite caught and I was going to look up kind of what the idea behind a Delton was. They have a superior attraction characteristics. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then. To be in Starfleet, you have to have an oath of celibacy. So <laughs> that's about all that you get about them. Yeah, which is interesting. No, I, I think that's a definite for sure that William Decker... Let's see, it says William Decker where I'm looking. That's interesting. Does it? Huh. That uh, Commander Decker and uh, Ilya were... Gene Roddenberry recreated that relationship essentially when with William right. Riker and Commander Troy, Deanna right. Troy, on Next Generation. In yep. fact, so much so that I thought, and I guess I was wrong when I watched the movie, I thought that uh, Ilya and Decker even had a telepathic conversation, but I must have imagined that because it's definitely not there in the movie. Like, it is a next generation. But. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and he is the the son of Commodore Decker, who showed up in the original series at some point. So, I mean, and they don't really even go into that in this movie. They just, it's just kind of like one of those little extra bits if you're, if you know something, it's that Easter egg that you're not necessarily looking for, but people appreciate yeah, first yeah, it's it's one of those fan fan things that if you're in the know you get it. If you if you if you have no idea, it doesn't really matter. Yep. So uh one other casting thing that I, I found that was interesting was Mark Leonard played the Klingon captain at the beginning of the movie. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, that guy gets around. <laughs> so this this is the end of the trilogy. He is he is the only actor now who has played a Romulan, a Vulcan and a Klingon. Yeah. And this is his final one where he finally got to play his Klingon. That's pretty so, cool. <laughs> and it's and it's the more made up Klingon that we're used to seeing from Worf and Next Generation and such. Not not the old original series. This is this is where they redesigned the Klingons again. Yeah. Or yeah. or for the first time I should say. Yeah. <laughs> um but anyways, let's let's go on. So the beginning of the movie. So the movie starts and you see this kind of nondescript giant ball of energy. You just kind of see this giant shape moving through space. And there's three old Klingon ships that you recognize from the original series. And they they fly towards it and they're trying to see what's going on. And in the Klingon way, of course, they, they fire at it before it gets too close. 
and it does nothing, and it ends up firing back and destroying all the Klingon ships. And it's there's a Starfleet starbase kind of out there observing this and seeing it going on. Yeah, Epsilon 9 or something like that. And and for the first, I don't know, five five to ten minutes in the movie, it's there's like very little English spoken. It's all subtitles. It's that very harsh, guttural Klingon language that you see. And then you get a little bit on the Epsilon 9 space station hearing it. But it's it's just interest, an interesting choice to start out with that if, if you're not used to it, all of a sudden starting with subtitles and not really knowing what's going on and seeing these new looking creatures that if you didn't know what the ships are, you would be very... Very distracted and, and out of a little fish out of water there for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And then right after that, it goes right into Vulcan and shows Mr. Spock and they're speaking Vulcan. So again, they don't speak <laughs> English. <laughs> so it's just it's just this just interesting choice to start out the movie. But on Vulcan you see Mr. Spock's trying to join in with the Vulcan culture, but there's something they, they they look into him and there's something in there. His human side is preventing it. Yeah, he's he's going to go through the uh, colon R yes. uh, ceremony, which, you know, where Vulcans basically are show that they can act in complete logic. And right. it's a rite of passage or a, a mark of respect among the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. But yes, he he declines it. He he stops them from putting the ceremonial necklace on him, and he he feels like something is calling him from space, and the person that's officiating or whatever does a mind meld and realizes that yes, he he has not completed the colonar. He's not ready uh, for that, and so right. And I, I really like the look and the feel of that scene. You know, it, it yes. looks it looks very alien. You know, it it doesn't feel. You know, it, on the original series, we always saw Spock on the Enterprise or interacting with the crew, right? And this is the first glimpse that we get. I mean, he they do go to Vulcan and stuff like that, but this this really for a movie was was probably the first big cinematic moment for me watching the movie is wow they really made Vulcan look good they made alien right. look familiar yet different you know yes. and, and it just felt bigger than uh, anything that we'd seen before so yeah i i agree that was but yeah, i didn't think about how first we had klingons then we had vulcans and right. <laughs> there was nothing really familiar to latch onto unless you knew who these creatures were so right or aliens were, I should say. Yep. And so then we're going back and you see on Earth and they're they're scrambling because this giant shape is moving towards Earth. And there's not a whole lot in between it and Earth. So the Enterprise just happens to be there getting a retrofit and being modified and, and looks very different than it did in the original show. The glowing part of the nacelles is now slick and isn't like that anymore, and it just looks a little different. And you find out that 
Kirk has gotten command of it again, and like I said, he's he's taken away from from Captain Decker, who you know was supposed to be there, and this was his ship, and he knew it inside and out because he did everything with the retrofit. And Kirk just struggles because he doesn't want to go away from being a captain, so he he fought to get back in it, and he took advantage of this emergency to do so. Yeah, what it had been three years since he had seen. Uh, been out in space or something like that yeah right so he had he had definitely not been up to date on what's going on with the enterprise and and that shows so he he returns to the ship with scotty because the the transporter's not working at this time because it's still not completely up to ready to go yet and so it, it there's this extended scene love scene to the enterprise um, finally seeing it on the big picture and it takes takes a while in this shuttlecraft to go all the way around it and so you see a whole lot of the Enterprise and the music swells and it's very very beautiful and you know I appreciate it it's just it's one of the many things in this movie just seems to kind of drag a little bit they extend these these shots with just music and you're just supposed to Sit back and appreciate the beauty it feels like they're telling you to do. Yeah. I did time this because I knew it was coming. Right. So, yeah, it was five minutes and about 12 seconds. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Was it really that long? It was that long, yeah. From when he gets into this little shuttle pod to where the shuttle pod actually docks with the uh, Enterprise. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's that's so funny. But I should have kept my... As the movie progressed, I was like, oh, I should have been timing all of this stuff. But because, man, there's just so many long shots of. Oh, there are. Watching stuff and reaction shots. Yeah. <laughs> I was like thinking about these actors. I'm like, oh, man, they must have been like went home or whatever, got in their trailer and said, this is the third day that all we've done is reaction shots <laughs> or something like right? that. Cause, yeah. I mean it's it is it is kind of crazy like that. It it feels like they were trying to make it a little bit like 2001 with that. I yeah, I definitely got that vibe in watching it. Anyways, so then, you know, Kirk gets on the ship and he he tells Decker about the fact that he's going to replace him. Decker is pissed cuz he he temporarily gets made a commander. So he was a captain and he temporarily loses rank. And then he's not even the captain of the ship anymore. It's Kirk. He's he's the XO now. And he he calls Kirk out on it and says, you know, you were looking for an excuse to come back and now you're doing it. It's like, you're yeah. taking this away from me. You said I was the right yeah. man for the job and here you are. First chance you get taking it back. Yeah, because Kirk had recommended him for the command. So, yeah, right. that's... You can definitely... And it's it's kind of amazing because it's... I can't imagine when I was in the Navy or anything ever talking to a superior like that. <laughs> so it it was take it with a little grain of salt there. It's just pretty pretty intense. And, and you just see from that point he has a chip on his shoulder a little bit. And so does Kirk at that point too. You know, yeah. There's a little bit of battle of egos there. Yeah, and it was interesting too because um, Kirk had requested a new Vulcan science officer because – Yes. You know, Spock wasn't available. He was on Vulcan. And so, and he even met his uh, science officer on 
you know, at Starfleet uh, base before he went on the Enterprise. But mm-hmm. when they tried to, when the transporters were, quote, working, and they tried to transport um, the science officer and another person aboard, there was one of those infamous transporter malfunctions. But right, this one was, wasn't just, you know... <laughs> Something weird happened. It was uh, people. People were killed. Yeah, and uh, not pretty. It, it was pretty brutal. I thought. Yeah, they were screaming and definitely looked malformed for a brief second. Is there in the transport, and then they just kind of disappear. It was very brutal. Ugh. And then, uh, you know, he he asked Starfleet, you know, if if they have them, and they said, well, what we received back here, I wouldn't consider. You know, right. human or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> definitely not good. not good. And so uh, once again, Kirk says, "Look, goes to Decker and says, well, you're now the science officer as well. Right. Because we're going to leave in 12 hours. He was, you know, really trying to get out there, even though the, the ship wasn't ready. And I really did like when he came on the bridge, it was just chaos. Everybody was working on this and talking back and forth and trying to get this to work and that to work. And he comes on the bridge and then everybody kind of quiets down and welcomes him aboard. But right. um, I, th- I thought they, they conveyed that really well that, man, this ship is really not ready to go out in this base. Right. So. Yeah, they're rushing and, and everything, yes. I think that is at this point that they see Epsilon 9 gets destroyed. And it kind of solidifies them to get even more ready for what's going on. Yeah, it was during you know a big. Uh, he had a huge gathering of all the crew, right. and you know showed them what happened to the Klingons. If this is what we're up against. This is why we're leaving. Right. You know, and then at that point, he's getting a communique from Epsilon Nine, and he says, "Patch it in." Because he wanted everybody to see it. And they, they saw Epsilon 9 get destroyed as well. Right. That that scene was pretty cool. I, I learned that a lot of those people, a lot of those extras were people that were, you know, part of the, the fan club or, you know, they, oh, they really? were a lot of the fans of the show were invited to come be extras on that for that scene. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, that's really cool. And we do see an Andorian in that scene as well. I know. <laughs> they're around every once in a while. There's there's not many of them, but they're there. Yeah. And I think this might be the first true Andorian that we see. Because the yeah, last probably. one wasn't real in the in the original series. Outside of animated series, maybe. You might see one there. But right around this time we also get Bones coming back to the to the Enterprise. He, he had retired and was living the country doctor life, and they recalled him, and he's ranting and raving about it, but then uh, comes to find out it was actually Kirk that pulled the strings for it, Yeah, and we see the best beard ever in Star Trek when he comes back. He's got a full-on out mountain man beard going on, and it's yeah. glorious, and then... <laughs> The next time you see him, he had shaved it off. Got to, got to fit into regs. Man, that thing was was so big. It was. And with the with the outfit that he was wearing, it just looked like nineteen sixties hippie or something almost. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, you know, in the later episodes when you get into Star Trek five and six, I mean, all the cast, you know, you mm-hmm. can see their age and that they're old. But yeah, when he came on the bridge or when he when he came transported onto the ship, I was like, man, he looks old even back in the first movie. <laughs> right. And maybe it was just the beard giving that illusion. But yeah. Well, was I think he was a little bit older than most of the cast, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think I think he is the the old man of the cast. I mean, he's got ten years on Shatner. I don't I don't know how Scotty was on the older side too. I think yeah, him and him and Scotty were the same. Uh, DeForest Kelly and James Dewan, they're the same age. So I think they were the two oldest ones. Okay. So it does kind of show with those two. <laughs> they are. They are looking a little up there. <laughs> but then uh, the Enterprise starts heading out, and all of a sudden, there's an announcement that a new science officer and Vulcan has arrived on the ship, and it happens to be Mr. Spock. And it's Mr. Spock at his, definitely his illogical, or logical, unemotional best. Yeah, everybody's there to welcome him back. Nurse Chapel even shows up for a second and goes, "Oh, Mister Spock!" And you can <laughs> see that the the torch is still being hung out there for him, and she gets so excited for it, and so he's back. Oh no, we had something else before that. I forgot about they they finally go into warp. And all of a sudden, when they're warping, they hit a wormhole. And they get caught in this wormhole with an asteroid, and it's a big danger. I don't understand why, when they're warping at any point before this, why wormholes haven't been an issue. But all of a sudden, it is. Right. And it goes into this weird slow motion, and very hard to hear and understand what's going on. And it's hard to see what's going on, because they're moving strange. Decker actually shows his knowledge of the ship on this one where Kirk says, well, we need to shoot the asteroid. So fire phasers and Decker's like, no, don't do that. Fire the belay that order, right? Belay that order. Fire the photon torpedoes. And Kirk's like kind of taken aback at this, but doesn't say anything. And they do. And they blow up the asteroid. And then all of a sudden they're out of this wormhole. And so they're they're traveling, and Kirk brings Decker into his room and looks like he's ready to tear him in half, countermining his orders. But then Decker says, you know, the engines were having this issue, and when the engines have this issue, then the phasers aren't on, so it wouldn't have helped anything. The, the photon torpedoes are the only choice that we had. Yeah, it would have made it worse. Yeah. Right. So Kirk actually, like, gets that little bit of a wake-up call and realizes, hey, wait, no. Maybe I'm the one with the chip on the shoulder and, you know, I put Decker in this awful position and maybe I do need to listen to him and give him a chance. And they, they yeah, start to start reconciling at that point. Dr. McCoy, you know, also after <laughs> Decker leaves, he's like, you know, he's right, Jim. This might not be yep. the right thing for you, you know, and which yep. is kind of neat because that's why uh, Kirk wanted bones to be on the ship right you know he didn't really need another doctor but he needed bones to be there he needed his friend to keep him in check he even says that you know when bones 
you know, comes on board and he's complaining. He says, I need you, you know. And so he's getting that counsel now from Bones, who, you know, has never been shy about sharing his opinion. So, and that's what he wants. That's what he needs is that counsel that somebody to to call him on his own action and things like that. I just remember the first time I watched this movie, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand what happened to the Klingons. I didn't, the whole wormhole thing. It's like, I have no idea what they're talking about or what, why they're in slow-mo or why the, you know, the lights are fading yeah. out, fading like that. And, but now, you know, now I understand it. But when I first watched it, I'm like, I really have no idea what's going on here. Right. So. I mean, this is a, a much slower paced movie. They don't necessarily spell everything out for you. They they anticipate you knowing some background to it and knowing a little bit of what's going to happen. It is definitely a little different. Yeah. Well, and just, you know, I, I try not to knock special effects. But, uh, you know, we're so used to a lot of the Star Wars <laughs> stuff at that point. And that, uh, right. that wormhole looked like a screensaver <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, man. You know? <laughs> oh, but and that's how about just... on the, the shuttle pod, the green screen just put on the shuttle pod. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kirk and Scotty in it. I mean, it's, yeah. There was definitely a little bit of a difference between the, the quality of special effects between this and, and any of the the Star Wars movies, for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I tried to give people the the benefit of the doubt on that, you know, because it, that's kind of low-hanging fruit to pick on special effects and oh, stuff yeah. like that but but yeah i did notice it though i'm like wow those computer graphics are really really bad yes they are <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now now spock's on board now spock's on board and i think Ilya had joined on as well was it yes. now or slightly before i think it was before that i think it was be was it before they took off yeah, I, th- right. I think she came on board before they took off. Okay. So they have Spock. So now Spock's the science officer. Decker is the first officer. And they're ready to go. So they go to confront this giant energy cloud. And they're attacked, basically. And the ship is kind of shut down. And this glowing ball of light or beam of light comes onto the bridge and it's moving around the bridge everywhere. And it's kind of ignoring the people. It's more looking at the computers and what's on those. And it goes over to one and it starts, it looks like it starts like reading the computer and taking over the ship. And people start worrying about it. So Spock goes over and just smashes the console. That's his answer to it. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere. <laughs> and so the beam of light shoots like lightning bolts at him and he flies across the room and everybody's like now on, on big tension, doesn't know what to do. And it's just standing there. And then all of a sudden the beam of light goes and it gets to Ilya and it like grasps onto her and she's like frozen and this horrific look of terror on her face and Spock reaches to grab her and it just shoots him across the room again. And everybody's worried about it, and then all of a sudden she disappears and it's gone. Nobody knows exactly what's going on. They're trying. They're getting the repairs done. Uh, they're trying to make sure that the computers are secured and that whatever this beam of light did isn't able to do it again. 
Now, I think this th- that happens after they enter into the cloud, right? They're they're in the first little part of the cloud. Because I I was surprised at how many layers there were. I didn't remember that they they went in a little bit and then they went in a little bit more and then they went right. in all the way in and uh, that was kind of interesting. One of the things that I liked about that is, you know, they had learned things from the Klingon ship, right? The, you know, getting destroyed, and they learned when the uh, Epsilon Nine station got destroyed. They learned not to scan it because they, you know, they said, Captain, we're getting scans. Should we return the scans? He's like, no, don't return the scans. They'll see that as an offensive thing. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're learning as they're going. It, it's almost kind of like a, like a video game kind of thing where exactly. you learn your lesson from the last time, you know, or somebody else's failure, that kind of thing. Well, I think they, they realized it was sending out some kind of radio message, old radio message. Yes. And they connected it. And that's kind of what got them past a certain level as well. Yeah, because once they... Once they kind of communicated back, it stopped shooting at them. And lets them come closer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Once they get in, then they're kind of stuck there with not a whole lot to do. And then all of a sudden the the sensors and everything in the ship go off. And they say there's an intruder in the officer's quarters. So Kirk and Bones and a security officer all run down there. And it turns out that it's Ilya now with this weird crystal thing at her neck. Like oval-shaped crystal. Yeah, like a tracheotomy kind of thing. <laughs> right. And she's no longer there. She's just like a an, a puppet, a drone of her, of the entity that is controlling everything and it, it has a name it's V'ger. So <laughs> it calls itself V'ger and it's it sent out this drone to study the carbon life forms that are infesting the enterprise. That was something that I didn't pick up on until this watch through either is that the carbon based life forms are infesting the enterprise. It's it's seeing the enterprise is who it wants to communicate with, not the humans on board. Right. And then it's the same as uh, it's it's talks a little bit about the carbon based life forms that are infesting the creator's planet, which it's talking about Earth for that. And so you, you kind of get this just infestation that it, it doesn't care about organic life at all. It's all about the machines. And that's right. why, like, it was scanning the computer. It didn't care about Spock or anybody else until they interacted with it. And yeah. then all of a sudden it it started getting at them. So it only cares about the machines. Um, they do realize that she does recognize Decker. So there is a part of her still there. Yeah. There, there's, you know, it reconstituted her form, but it probably also constituted some of her memories and things like that. So right. Decker kind of becomes her escort. And, yes. uh, you know, he says, if you want to understand the way you can understand the creator is to, to help understand us and how we interact or whatever. Right. As they're discussing things and they're talking, all of a sudden Spock goes <laughs> off and takes his own little spacewalk to try and do a mind meld with the, there's like this weird camera shutter 
opening or something. And Spock tries to go into it and mind meld and learn from it. Because he keeps on feeling drawn to whatever this is. Like it's speaking to him on a base level. Because it's a machine and it talks about logic and all these things. And Spock's, you know, (laughs) not a machine, but is very much talking about logic and and wants to get on to the Vulcan logical mindset. And that's part of his thing. Yeah. And Spock and Bones had had a couple conversations about, do do you trust him? Do you think... Do you think he'll pick us over this entity? You know, if he feels drawn to it, is he going to be right. there for us? And so he's not doing much here to uh, to set them at ease. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock, Spock does make some contact with V'ger and learns that it considers itself a non-biological living machine. And it comes yes. from a machine planet and it's just... It's been all over the galaxy and has this huge store of knowledge, and it's looking for the creator. It's That's what it's there for. It's trying to communicate and send out messages to the creator, and it's not getting a response back, and it doesn't know why. Bach has picked up on, you know, little things that, that it's thinking. Yeah, and, you know, he, he says things like, you know, it has no answers, and... You know, right. Is this all that I am? Is there not more? You know, those types of things. So it it does have um, desires or things that it needs. Spock tells Kirk to treat it like a child. That's what it is. It's it's a kid looking for its its mother and father, basically. It's creator. Yeah. It's searching for, for where it came from, why it is. They they start doing that and they start Kirk interacts with it through Ilya. And says, I know where the creator is. I know why the creator is not answering. And Ilya, V'ger through Ilias is like, well, tell me. And Kirk's like, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. And, and V'ger starts like throwing a tantrum. Well, no, no, you have to tell me. Tell me. Tell me what this is. <laughs> Disclose the information. <laughs> right. <laughs> just just tell me this. And Kirk's just like, no, no, I'm not going to. And he's he's like very like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. And V'ger's yeah. like, what, well, what can I do? What, what will I do to, to get this information from you? And Kirk's like, well, you're sending out all these things to destroy the carbon-based life forms on the third planet. He's like, stop it. Stop doing that. Bring them all back. Because at this point, they had reached Earth. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, and V'ger had sent out and tried to communicate with Earth but didn't get an answer. And so then, like you're saying, sent probes out to destroy everything on Earth. Right. It's, yeah. So this, then this the infestation negotiations get pretty vital. Right. Then, then like Kirk basically is able to bluff it into accepting his terms. But then the only problem is V'ger calls him on it and says, okay, I'll pull it back. But now you need to tell me the information I need. And Spock brings up the point that if they, go to where V'ger is, like the central brain of it, that's where the probes are controlled. So maybe they can do something at that point. Yeah. And and so Kirk says, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what the who the creator is, why they're not answering, but only to you, not to Ilya. It has to be directly to you, V'ger. Right before he leaves, he tells Scotty, get the self-destruct ready. <laughs> so <laughs> even though he's got confidence... He still is just like, I still don't know what I'm going to do. Decker 
Spock, Bones, Kirk, and Ilya. Yep. And Mr. Sulu has the con. He I does. Like that. Yep. <laughs> Mr. Sulu, you have the con. Yep. I, I, that's just one of my favorite lines is whenever he says that. So, And then Sulu says, oh, my. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Not really. I know. But that it's funny that that's what George Takai is known for now. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so they, they all go out and they're going to the, the ship. And this is probably one of the best twists in Star Trek. And I think it gets overshadowed by Empire Strikes Back twist of Luke. I, I am your father. But this is this is the best twist that V'ger is one of the series of the Voyager probes right. that we sent out. And it's it's Voyager 6 in this case, but, you know, Voyager program was Voyager 1 and 2 were launched in 1977. So obviously when they wrote this, they, they anticipated there to be more Voyagers going out. So this was Voyager 6. Yeah. And was launched 300 years ago in the 20th century and thought they lost in a black hole. And so they they intuit that Voyager traveled, got caught on this machine planet. The machines like kind of modified it and gave it intelligence and self awareness. And then it it took on its programming. And what the programming of the Voyager program is: gather information and bring it back to Earth. Let us know what you find. Like send that information back to us. Well, there was no way for it to communicate from so far away. So it came in closer and was trying to communicate the way it knew those old radio waves and stuff to try and communicate and fulfill its journey. And, you know, that's that's what it's saying. Meet the creator is fulfill that journey of passing on that information. And so it, it really just didn't have any purpose other than that original mission. And so... It, it became self-aware, but still just super hyper-focused. And it, it wasn't – it was questioning itself and its fulfillment. V'ger insists that the creator come to finish what it's doing because it, it finds – Answer answer my, my communication. Yeah. Right. And so before it transmits all the information, the creator has to come in and do that. And everybody realizes that the – Humans are the creator. And so they're like, well, what what are we going to do? And Uhura had come up with, we know, you know, we've looked into the, the record banks and we know right. what the code is and how to answer V'ger to get its yes. mission parameters finished or completed. And right. it's just, it's just a, a series of numbers. And so she she tells Kirk what those are, and Kirk, you know, it starts to relay the message, the coded message, to V'ger. But it doesn't receive the last sequence of numbers. And right. then Spock digs into one of his panels and finds out that it destroyed one of its links to uh or one of its wires or whatever so it could not receive the last message that it it wanted more than that it it right. wanted to merge itself with its creator kind of thing right it wants to become one with the creator and 
Pecker says, okay, I'll do it. And so he merges with Ilya, Probe, and V'ger. So all three of them kind of become this new singular life form. And after that happens, it just kind of all disappears. And it's just nicely wrapped up in a little bow. Yeah. Earth is saved. <laughs> the the person who Kirk was competing with to be captain of the Enterprise is gone. And so he's just like, all right, let's go on out. Fly again. Let's do some more missions in space. I don't want to be an admiral sitting at home anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's essentially the end of the movie. Right? <laughs> In some of my research and, and watching some of the extras, um, mm-hmm. this script was written and rewritten and rewritten again. And during production, Shatner and uh, Leonard Nimoy had approval rights on the script as well. And so they had things they right. wanted changed. And at one point, they were they had to mark the hour on the script pages that were being written so that people would know what version they were supposed to be reading from. And Leonard Nimoy would go over to the writer's house. And one of the guys that had been involved through most of the process that had, you know, written the script five times and given up and then had to go back to it again. And uh, anyway, he had said that the, the hardest thing for them to figure out was how to end the movie, the third act was what they, they were struggling with trying to figure out how to end it and how to right. let the, the humans who were so below, you know, where this, where V'ger Voyager was at in its power and knowledge and omniscience or, or whatever. And, you know, if humans defeated it, well, then that made humans better than this thing, you know? So they just struggled with that idea a lot and you can, Tell right. <laughs> at the, I mean, the, the merging and, and all of that I thought was really well done and that they discovered yes. that it was Voyager and all that stuff at the end I thought was really well done up until the point where once Decker and Ilya merge with Voyager, it just disappears. And then, right? <laughs> and then it's, it's over. You know, you'd think you'd at least yeah. see, you know, V'ger become a smaller vessel or something like that or glowing something and then go off into space. But, yeah, it just disappears. Right. So that was kind of weird. Yes. it. In some ways, the ending of this reminded me of the animated Robin Hood, the old Disney Robin Hood. Where everything's going on and you're fighting and then Robin gets caught and then finally they get him out and he escapes. And then next thing you know, King Richard's back and Robin's getting married and everything's happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, what happened in between there? Yeah, like, there's got to be something else. Yeah. Wait, some, all of a sudden everything's done? <laughs> well, yeah, because the, the last thing we see is all the remaining people, you know, Decker excluded. Everybody's running back to the Enterprise to take off and... You get out, but then all of a sudden everything disappears and everybody's on the ship. And yeah, there, there's a little bit missing there at the end for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I love the concept of this movie. I like a lot of the interplay between uh, Kirk and Bones and Spock. And I like right. the inclusion of all the other crew and things like that. But 
yeah, its execution is very sluggish, <laughs> very slow. I mean, yes, there's points where you're like, oh man, how long are we going to watch V'ger and the landscape and the lights of you know? Ugh. They were just very proud of those sets, <laughs> and they wanted to show you every single detail and every angle of what V'ger looked like, and man, right. I mean, the sets were beautiful and they were well done, but they're they're also kind of boring. Like, Star Trek's known for bold, bright colors, and I mean, the uniforms are grays and tans and just very muted in this one. And then the, the colors of Heecher and everything, it's like grays and blues, and it's it's a little bit darker, and I mean, even... Even like you said, Vulcan was beautiful, but it was all like washed out red tones. There's just is a very unusual movie. There just wasn't much color to it, or it didn't move very fast, and it was just it's it's odd in the some of the choices that they made for it. Yeah, I mean the music is amazing for sure. Yeah, it really is, and. And seeing the Enterprise is it's on the big screen is is pretty cool. Seeing that, you know, I could imagine if you're in the theater for the first time, all you've done is watch Star Trek on a little, you know, thirteen inch tube TV, and then all of a sudden here it is on the big screen, and you're watching the Enterprise for the first time. Yeah, I think that would be kind of cool. I don't know if it's five minutes worthy, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but it doesn't stop there, right? Like even even after that scene, and then then they're gonna leave. They're gonna take off and go out into space. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go watch every light turn on and and show the Enterprise call sign. And it's just like holy cow, guys, let's just right. get out of space dock here and let's get going right. on our adventure. <laughs> so, so you know, Richard referred to it as you know that it's known for being boring, and there's definite boring parts to it slow parts to it and i wish it was a better movie because i love the concept and i of course love the characters and i like the decker and Ilya and all these different things were very interesting things but there needed to be more punch and more the pacing needed to change. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, maybe they needed to fight through something else before they could get to V'ger or something like that. I, I really like it. I think it's a very good science fiction movie. It just, it didn't always feel like it should have been a Star Trek movie to me. Yeah, true. <laughs> like it just seemed like somebody wrote this script and then they had star trek at the side and they're like oh let's buy the script and push them together yeah. that's what it kind of felt like i mean the 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 thing is i mean here's one where you got a movie with very little conflict and fighting in it i mean you've got the space station and the three klingons that kind of get destroyed but there's no really conflict the enterprise enterprise doesn't fight anybody the only weapons they fire is to destroy an asteroid to escape the the wormhole i i kind of I mean, I can't imagine that on in any movie now, seeing a Star Trek movie on the big screen and there not being a big space battle. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of, I do kind of like that. I mean, it stays true to the exploration and the 
the device of having V'ger become be Voyager. Right. And it's traced yes. back to our past, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Really, really neat concept. In fact, when it was going to be phase two, when it was going to be the pilot episode of, of the new television series, the name of the uh, entity was ENSA, which was going to be nice. NASA. but NASA, yeah. <laughs> and so I, that concept's really cool. And it is truly Star Trek in a sense, but when right. when you've seen the the Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock and those, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I want. That's the kind of Star Trek movie that I want to see. Right. So well, and I mean, you you could even say that this is very similar to Voyage Home. Very much so. From it, very much so. Yeah. I mean, they're almost identical, but it's like. It's like they did a redo and put a lot of these elements into Voyage Home and just made it a better movie. Also, one that doesn't have any fights in it. (laughs) So, it's just very interesting choices. Yeah, I thought I definitely thought about that watching this. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? (laughs) It is a similar type premise to Voyage Home. Right. Well, yeah, especially since I just saw that too. <laughs> right. But, so, uh, speaking of that, did your did your wife or daughters watch this with you? No, no, this was just me alone. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, this was just me. I don't think the girls would sit through it very yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a tough sit, especially for for people of this generation, younger people. Right. Right. I mean, I, I can't believe we, we came out of Voyage Home and they both loved it. And I was just thinking, like, I, I thought that they fought the Klingons in it at some point. I thought I had that in my memory, but no, that was all in three. That was all in three, So, yeah. yeah. So, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, the, the, only, the only violence you have in four is the Vulcan neck pinch that Spock does to the punk yeah. on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than that, I mean, it's... It's a pretty tame movie, and this one is is right along that. Not saying that, you know, that doesn't make it bad or anything, but there's just... I think this movie could have been shortened to about 90 minutes and worked just as well. Yeah. Or even even just a, a TV show length. Well, I guess... And I, I wondered if we should have delayed doing this episode, because I guess on Paramount Plus, they're going to put out... They're going to premiere this movie with a director's cut. And even more okay. restoration and, and stuff on uh, yeah. Paramount Plus. It, it's like next year or the end of this year or something like that. I thought, well, maybe we should wait okay. for that one. It probably, you know, it's probably fine. Well, <laughs> it's They probably haven't added that much more. I did watch the director's cut that I had on DVD from back in the day. And and I, I mean, it sounded like you and I watched the same movie. <laughs> so I don't know if that too much got got changed i mean like i said i i really do like this movie i think it holds up as a very good science fiction movie more along the lines of 2001 and you know and i can appreciate it at that level too because all told i enjoy well i have to be in the right mood but i can i enjoy 2001 as well oh yes Uh, there's definite parts to it that are slow and boring and but there's a right. lot that I really enjoy in that movie as well so mm-hmm. 
if I'm in the right mood, if I'm patient enough, I can sit through that one. I don't know. It's been a while. Yes. I've only seen it once, so I guess I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> I, I can appreciate slow movies, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. But... I, I don't mind pacing, but when when the shots just tend to linger, and I think that that's what this one did more. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, so. I swear they must have done multiple days of just reaction shots. Cause... Oh, man. <laughs> I think I saw something about Sulu said this was the most relaxed shooting he's ever done. <laughs> That's probably true. And and it was it was just like he's just like it's it was nice. Just sat there and it was it was very relaxing. It, there wasn't like this huge push on time on getting these things done, but hey, I mean, if nothing else, this movie brought Star Trek back. Oh yeah. And kicked off the rest of the movies. It definitely would made more than enough movie to bring in Rathacon. And, you know, those that, that trilogy of 2, 3, and 4 brought us Next Generation and everything else that come, came with it, and at least it, it hasn't died. No, yeah, this this movie definitely... This, the financial success of this movie definitely made it possible for the future of Star Trek. Right. And, uh, you know, there were several cast members that when they saw the movie, especially, I know I saw something from Shatner, you know, when he went to the premiere and saw the movie, he was, he was kind of shocked at how sluggish it was. And he's like, well, that's it. We, we made a movie that was good, but, uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then later on he had to eat his words as well. Shows you what I know. <laughs> well, people were hungry for it. And, and I mean, yeah, it is sluggish, but still it's, you get to see Spock, you get to see Bones, you get to see Nurse Chapel and, Yeoman Rand and Chekhov and everybody's there. Yeah. And it's it's been 10 years since you saw them and it's like reuniting with that friend. They liked it, I think. And just in general, I think people just craved it and wanted it. Yeah. We'll get this out to you soon and, and we're going to start watching uh, the first season of Next Generation. Yes. So our, our next episode, we'll be talking about the first half of the first that of the first season of that series and mm-hmm. we'd love you to join patreon and uh, join us with all of our treks that we do here uh, if you go to patreon.com slash journey into you can join us there look at the different uh, levels of participation this is at the three dollar level so i would love to have you come over to the patreon and partake of all that good stuff over there if you want to send us an email, uh, you can write to journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. What What did you think of this yes. movie? Did you like it? And and I, I look forward to Rish's next phone call. That's true. <laughs> on the, the Journey Into line. Yes. If you, if you want to leave us a voicemail like Rish did, you can call up 77JINTO107 and uh, leave... A voicemail of three minutes or less. Or get hung up on and call back and finish your your message. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just listened to the Disney episode where I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us here on this trek where we talked about the motion picture. And I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back for more. Uh, So until next time, Keith, live long and prosper. 
Thank you, Marshall. Peace and long life. Good night. Good night. This particular episode of Trekkin' was produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you can share it with as many people as you would like, but you cannot change it or sell it. And please let people know where you got it from. The intro music for this podcast was brought to you by Man in Space. And of course, this closing music of Jerry Goldsmith's score for Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm-hmm.